0: I remember when I was a kid, about seven or eight years old, and we would gather down at the Black Ridge Park, and we would talk and gossip and tell tales and stories, and there would be those times when those of us especially who liked to talk would tell of the affairs of uh, the week, and, and I would describe... How I saw this amazing car wreck where the car flipped over, and my friend Polly would say, uh uh-uh. uh. And I'd say, uh uh-uh, uh, yeah, uh huh. And, um, and I would explain how aliens landed in the backyard, and Polly would say, uh uh-uh, uh. And I would say, uh huh. And the argument would rise and the accusations of exaggeration would come until one thing would shut it down and that was when somebody would say, "Uh uh-huh, cross my heart and hope to die. And eyes would get big and silence would come because that oath said what? I hope even to die if this is not true. People make vows, extreme vows, in order to assure another person that what they say they mean. People enter into contracts with each other, major life changing agreements, in order to say, So be it. And in our passage today, if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 15. And listen to the Word of the Lord, starting in verse 7, this great passage where God makes His covenant with Abram, what we call the covenant of grace, and confirms it with this ritual ceremony. And the rest of the Bible remembers this day as the day when God swore on oath to Abram that his grace was enough for you and me. Verse 7, He also said to him, that is God, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, "'Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions.' You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. So far the reading of God's Word. Cross my heart and hope to die. That's what God says to Abram on this day when he makes a covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is an act of agreement sanctioned by God, an act of commitment with divine sanctions. It's this divinely sanctioned agreement, it's God saying, this is how I'm going to run my kingdom. And He lays it out. And in the ancient world, you had, even in, even in pagan cultures, you had these contracts or covenants that were established. And, you know, there would be, uh, they, they actually had a form. Some of you have purchased a house. And when you buy a house, aren't you amazed at all the paperwork? That happens, you know, I, I sold my house in Philadelphia, um, and uh, it, was, it was a complicated deal, but at that settlement, there were no lawyers present. When I bought my house in New York at the settlement, there were five lawyers present to buy the house in New York, one for the title company and one for this agent and one for that agent, and then I had a lawyer, and there was someone else here for, I, I don't even know why I had to pay them, but they, five, there were five Now, you buy a house, you know, there's always an exciting time, you like the house, you look at the house, you get excited and you're going to have a house, you have dreams about your house, and then that day comes when you have to sign, and all of a sudden the immensity and the enormity of it all weighs upon you. This is the day of settlement for Abram, as they enter this divinely sanctioned agreement and commitment. It follows the pattern. I am the Lord. This is, that's called the historical preamble. This is what happens. I, the, the parties announce themselves. I am the Lord, and what did I do for you? I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I set my affection on you. I made great promises to you. And when Abram, at the end of his life, in Genesis 24, Abram says, the Lord spoke to me his promises, and then he says, and he confirmed it with an oath. That's what we're talking about today. It's that part that he's remembering. Today, that day, God made a covenant with me, and what a day it was. Covenants. There there was the covenant of creation, and the stuff of the covenant is there. There was, of course, the great covenant with Noah after the flood, but this This is the great covenant of grace, the covenant of redemption, the promise that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abram and his seed, who is Jesus Christ. And so this day comes. God has, remember last week, Abram believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, the great doctrine of justification by faith. Abram's full of faith. He trusts God, and then what happens right away, <laughs> right here? Abram gets a little anxious. He gets a little nervous, and he has a question. And he, he says, Lord, how do I know that you're going to come through? Why is this? It's because Abram is a person just like you and just like me. Someone who moves, at least I do. I don't know about you. I can move from faith to doubt, from certainty to uncertainty, from feeling confident to not so confident pretty quickly. Can you relate to that? Anybody else here? And the fact that Abram has shown great confidence on the way is no guarantee that he doesn't need reassurance as he goes on. How can I know that what you have said in your promise to me will actually come to pass. Now, this is just repeating what happened earlier in chapter 6. God made promises, Abram doubts him, and God answers him verbally and then gives him a physical uh, reminder. He tells him to look at what in the sky? He says that you look at the stars in the sky, and that will remind you that I'm going to keep my promises to you, Abram. And Abram believes. And now again he questions. And so God answers him one more time. But He answers him even with more seriousness. With this what we call covenant ratification, ritual, ceremony, moment. It was called in the Hebrew word a barith. Some of you have driven by churches and the name of the church is barith. You know, Baptist or Barith Presbyterian that comes from the Hebrew word covenant. He makes a Barith with him this day. The most solemn and serious uh, ritual you could undertake when you mean what you say. And what happens? He sends Abram on a little safari and he tells him what to get, the goat and the heifer, And you take these animals and they are sacrificed and divided in two halves. And Abram knew immediately what God was going to do with him. How amazing. Usually it was one great king and one little king, you know, and they'd enter into a covenant. But now God is saying, I will do this with you. And they cut, they slaughter and cut the animals apart. And then as covenants go, the parties now say, we will enter into this agreement and walk together between the animals as if to say... not cross my heart and hope to die. It's even worse than that. When they walk between these bloody carcasses, they are saying, may it be done to me as has been done to these carcasses if I do not keep my promise to you. You, you do that when you're serious. Next, the, the next time you hire a roofer to put a new roof on your house, why don't you try this, you know? Get, get a bunch of animals in your front yard and cut them and say to the roofer, let's walk between to make sure you do the job you've promised to do. I guarantee you, you'll get a good price and good service. So Abram cuts these animals and then he waits and we don't know how long he waited, but we know he waited a long to, a while because the vultures, the birds of prey, are coming to peck away and to eat th- this, uh, this flesh. And you have this picture of this old man sitting out in a field with these slaughtered animals. He's got a stick or stones, and he's trying to shoo them away like the pigeons down at Jones Beach coming after your sandwich. He's trying to keep these animals away, and, and, and they keep coming back, and he's shooing them off. He's waiting. He's waiting. And then God shows up, and God puts him into a sleep. And why does he do this? I'm not completely sure, one commentator that I studied this week, a guy named Scott Lindsay, he, he makes a very good case that even though the text doesn't say it, that Abram had to be in this kind of sleep, or he would have just been overwhelmed by the glory that had descended and had intruded into the place and time where he was, you see, like... like um, you know, when uh, Saul of Tarsus fell off his horse. Like when I- Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord and fell on his face, you see. So he, he goes into this deep sleep in order to preserve Abram. And he receives some new information, and this is so interesting, about the details of God's plan of what's going to happen, that his descendants will go down into a land not their own. They will be mistreated for 400 years and then God Himself will deliver them. He's promised God will bring the descendants of Abram out with great wealth. He will save them and bring them to the promised land. And He will do it when, this is really interesting, when the sin of the Amorites reaches its fullness. And why is that thrown in? What's that all about? Because it will explain that concurrent with the salvation of God's people and their entrance into the promised land, will also fall the judgment of a just and holy God upon the wicked on that great and terrible day. They are not coming in to that land as bullies, but they will on that day be those who in that time are the intrusion of God's judgment upon the wicked in that land. And archaeologists have told us of the Horrors of that Canaanite culture and the child sacrifice and that great wickedness in those days that was there. And following then that announcement, now we come to the conclusion. We come to the signing on the dotted line. There you are at settlement, and it's time to sign. You will pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy this house. And you promise to do it. And they will release all rights and title to that house, to you. All its warts, all its problems, it's yours now. This is the moment to sign. Only this is far more serious. This is when the, here's a word, here's a great 50 cent word. When the theophany, theophany is a word that means the manifestation of God. Thea, God. Phanos, light. When God shows Himself physically, intrudes with His presence, it's called a theophany, and you have this smoking pot. It was like an oven in the ancient world. This smoking pot and this torch of fire come down. It's time to sign on the dotted line what the writer of Hebrews says, when God promised on oath. And what happens? What happens? It is time for them to come in agreement and say, may it be done to me as happens to these animals. And they, as in all covenant ratification ceremonies, are to pass through between the animals. And what happens? So interesting. to pay attention now. Who walks through the animals? Amazing to see who does. God does. As this flaming fire and this pot of smoke, and the theophany of God, pass between the animals. And it is amazing to see who does not pass through. who does not pass through, Abram. Abram is left to be an observer on the side. This is startling because when the great king in these covenants takes the lesser king through, the great king isn't worried about keeping his side of the bargain. He wants to make sure that the stipulations will be kept by the lesser king. But not today. Today, God says, I pass through alone as the guarantor of the success of the very promises I make to you, Abram. And it is breathtaking. The responsibility, Abram, you asked, how do I know? that this salvation will come, that these promises will be kept, that your descendants will get to the promised land. How do you know? Let me tell you how. You will no longer look to yourself. I will do it. I will do it. And so God passes between these sacrifices, these pieces. What do we do with all this? When you study a passage like this, a startling, startling, stunning passage like this, well, you have to ask, what did it mean for the original readers of this text? And then what does it mean for us? And remember that as Moses delivered this text, this written record to the people of Israel, where were they in that day they first, when they first received it? They were on the verge of entering into the promised land. And they could do math. They could count. And they knew the 400 years had indeed passed. And now the fullness of time has arrived. And they will go into the promised land. And it will be theirs. And they they come to realize, please understand this, they come to realize that all those years of hardship were not some accident. But they were, according to God's own design, mysterious, yes, difficult, yes, Painful, yes, but it was according to God's plan in order to bring you to this place that I will take you for your salvation. And they can go forward because they know it's true, because God Himself swore the oath to them. Now, what do these verses mean for us in 2010? Here's what it means. It means that because you are in Christ, you who are the seed of Abraham, we see this unmistakably. The New Testament tells us again and again and again that all who are believers, all who are a part of the family of God, are children of Abram. We are in Abram. Those who are in Christ are in Abram. You receive this same covenant of grace. And there's, there's a lot to pick up and apply and I just want you to pay attention with me very quickly here. If Abram doubted, I have to admit that sometimes I need reassurance as well. Am I the only person here that we, we all know this dance? I have faith in the Lord. What a great worship service. And I'm 15 minutes out of church And I start to fret, and I start to worry, and I start to look at my own performance, and it's not very impressive. And I need reassurance again. What about you? And I love the way God is so kind and so gracious and so patient, reassuring Him over and over again. And who is here today in this room that just would say, maybe that's why God brought me to church today. Because I need some reassurance in the light of my circumstances that God is going to save me and will eventually get me home to heaven. Anybody here who needs to know that, this is a passage for you. God reassures His people. Remember, you're not condemned if you doubt. Some churches treat people like like big sinners if they doubt. In this church, you are welcome if you struggle, if you have questions, if you need reassurance. But God doesn't leave you there, and God doesn't want to leave you there, and it's no great uh, moral accomplishment to doubt. God wants to bring you back to this place of certainty and faith, resolute conviction that His Word, His promises, His covenant, His oath is true for you. The other thing, I don't want to make too much out of this, but when I see this old man chasing the vultures away with a stick, I see him waiting. And this is not new to Abram. So, you know, God calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees, and He takes him to this land, and when he gets to the land, he waits for a long time. And then God tells him some more, and then he waits for a while. And it's, before we get to chapter 16, which is the next chapter, it's going to be like, what, another 10 years probably. There's more waiting. And, and I just think this picture of him smacking at the vultures that are pecking is a lesson for us because don't we all spend a lot of time chasing away the vultures and we're waiting for God to show up And God does show up. You know He does. He shows up in small ways, in His providence in your life that are unmistakable. And you say, that that was clear. That was a God moment in my life. Thank you, Lord. Some of you looked at the bulletin this morning. You know what I'm talking about. Thank you, Lord. You showed up to help your people. What vultures are you chasing away? You just need... A big part of the Christian life is staying faithful over time as you wait on the Lord. Jesus taught this in Luke 12, didn't He? He says, you know, uh, the Master has gone away for a while, but the Master's coming back. Keep the wicks trimmed. Keep the lamps lit. Okay? North Shore Community Church... We're not the smartest, strongest, best-looking people here on Long Island, but what we can do is keep the wicks trimmed and the lamps lit until Jesus Christ comes again. As the old hymn says, the church shall never perish, her dear Lord, to defend. We resolve, whatever vultures come and pick and peck at us, in our families, in our church, we will wait for the Lord. But most of all, most of all is this covenant, what the theologians call this startling unilateral covenant. This is not a bilateral covenant of two parties. Usually it's two parties passing through, but today it's just God Himself guaranteeing the salvation of His people. Amazing grace, amazing and he is taking the curse upon himself. You know, you know, at the end of a service, I give what's called a benediction. Benediction. That means good word. Bene means good. Dictos from word, a good word. And we receive good words. But this is taking what's called a malediction. Mal means bad, bad word upon himself. May. May it happen to me if there is sin in this covenant. And God says, I will take that death. And what is this? You know what this is. For you have heard the words of Jesus from Luke 22 time and time again when Jesus Christ says, A new covenant is made for you in my blood. and My blood is shed to secure the blessings of the covenant for my people. Oh, friends, Jesus went to that gloom of Golgotha, the place where the cross, the death passage that was necessary. I I don't know if you pay attention as you read your Bible, but in Genesis chapter 3, as Adam and Eve are expelled from the Garden of Eden, there yet remains an angel with a flaming sword barring entrance back in and anyone who comes will be smitten with that flaming sword. The only way back in will be through death. The veil of the temple, if you ever studied the veil in Israel of the temple, it was woven beautifully, but it was woven with pictures of flame on it re- re- reminding people of that flaming sword that barred the only way in. It's through a death passage. And God Himself promised that there would be this way of the Savior, the way of the Master was a death passage, that He would die to take the curse for you and for me. How do you know that you will be saved on the judgment day? Do you open your day timer, you look in your Palm Pilot, and you see your record of good deeds, and you say, yes, oh, yes, this is the reason. I, on such and such a day, I did this. On such and such a day, I did that. Well, I know there was this bad deed and this bad thought, but I, I'm kind of hoping that in the scales, what I bring uh, on the judgment day is just going to be good enough. Is that what you think? God said there's a better way. There's a better way. This is my way. Jesus paid it all. How does the hymn go? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. But uh, I never can earn my salvation. That's why God alone passed through the dead carcasses. Are you in the covenant This is interesting, Uh, this thing about the Amorites, the judgment that was to fall on the Amorites at that right time. You know, the New Testament says the reason the judgment day is delayed, you know, there is a judgment day to come. Do you know why the judgment day is delayed? The judgment day for the Amorites was 400 years. And God said, well, that was because the, the fullness of their sins had not yet come to fruition. Do you know why it is delayed even today? It says God is patient. He is saving time for those yet He will call who will yet repent. And He will call them out of the Amorites who who represent the fallen sinful world. Where are you? Are you in the covenant of grace with Abram and Christ Jesus, His seed, or are you with the Amorites? Where are you? Where are the ones you love? Your parents, your children, your siblings, your colleagues, your schoolmates. Where are they? Where are you? Jesus said, friends, long ago, (laughs) my father in heaven promised your father, Abram, that there would be this death passage for the Savior, and I go now with my blood to accomplish your salvation. Where are you? Are you in Christ? Look, not to yourself. Look to Jesus Christ and be saved. God's own Son sealed these promises with His blood. So I finish with this. Some of you today may be doubting. You need reassurance. And as we go to pray and sing this final hymn, You go to God. You say, Lord, it's me again. And I'd reassurance that the blood of Christ is sufficient to save me and your providential care over me will be good and for your glory. If you need that today, then you do business with him. Don't leave here without doing that business with him. Some of us would say, I never heard of these Amorites before, but I think I might be one. I've never cared about Jesus Christ. I've never cared about his gospel, and it never really mattered to me that he died on the cross, except that I thought it was a a tragedy. And today you understand that it, yes, was a tragedy, but it was the moment of salvation, that the blood of Christ was shed for your sins, and you believe. This is a day for you to believe. Somebody else just... (laughs) wants to to revel in your salvation. That's why you're here. And you want to say, Jesus, I stand alone in you. You're the great covenant keeper. You didn't break the covenant. You didn't transgress the stipulations of the covenant. But you died for the curses of the covenant. And I am so grateful. I just want to thank you. So wherever you are, wherever you are today, God calls you to, to respond right now. And I hope you will. And he will encourage and touch and bless your soul as he did Abram that great day. He he didn't cross his heart and hope to die, he gave his heart and he did die. Let's pray. My God, our God, why would you give your son so pure, so undefiled, to take a sinful one like? Abraham, and one like me, and make me your chosen, precious child. Well, all we know is it's because of your grace, and we thank you for that grace today in this wonderful and pregnant passage of Scripture. You've shown us yourself. We say meet us now as we sing this closing song. In Jesus' name, amen.